It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to Accelerate. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Jim Cathcart. Jim's a world-famous speaker, an expert on sales, personal development, and professional development. And for over 40 years, he has spoken to audiences around the world on how to maximize your potential. And not to mention, he's a heck of a guitar player and singer, too. And I've, I've, heard, him, I've heard him play. And maybe he'll play a song for us today later on. So, you know, what separates the top performers in sales and business from the rest? Well, there's no shortages of studies available to discuss the processes and the techniques that these people use. But what if the secret to success is not about a process or a technology or a tool or technique? What if it's really all about you, the person, and your attitudes and your beliefs? Well, as I said before, my guest today, Jim Cathcart, has been talking to companies and salespeople around the world for 40 years about this, and he's here today to help us sort it all out. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Andy. I appreciate it. So, yeah, take a minute and fill in the introduction a little bit. Tell us about yourself. Well, I've been a professional speaker, as you mentioned, for 40 years, so I've done over 3,000 engagements around the world for every kind of audience you can imagine. I mean, I've spoken for you know the sublime and the weird. I've, I've spoken for the American Bankers Association, the U.S. Treasury, the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines. I've spoken for the Association of Wiping Cloth Manufacturers. Um, <laughs> I've, I've spoken most recently at the National Association of Music Merchants, NAMM, their big annual meeting, 100,000 people in Anaheim, and I, I did one of their breakout sessions. And um, gosh, I just recently returned from a tour of China, and I'm headed out to do another one. So I'm speaking in multiple cities over there to about 1,000 people at a time for six hours each, with a translator standing at my elbow. That's a strange experience. Yeah, I was going to say, well, so as a speaker, how's that feel to, to know that people really can't understand you? Well, it, it only feels odd for the first several minutes, and then you get a rhythm down where you understand how they listen and you understand what your translator is doing. And from that point, it's just, you know, back and forth. I do a paragraph, he does a paragraph. And we make sure that it captures the emotion and, you know, the pauses are as they ought to be. We did a series of, of cities together, me and, and the translator, Peter Gao. And by the end of the first day, he had nailed it and we were operating as one unit. Could you get the laughs in the right place? Yeah, sure did. <laughs> That's great. So you have a great story about how you got started in this profession as a speaker and an expert in personal development and so on. Tell people that story. It's a great story. Well, in 1972 in Little Rock, Arkansas, I was working as a government clerk. I was making $525 a month working for the Little Rock, Arkansas Housing Authority. And I had grown up as the son of a telephone repairman. And uh, my mom was a housewife. And and we had a great family. My grandfather and grandmother lived with us, but my grandfather had been disabled completely by a stroke, never spoke again for seven years, never moved from his bed. And my grandmother took care of him. And, and then there was my mom, me and my sister and my dad. 
and dad was on the road during the week, but you know, still it was a happy family and, and uh, a great childhood. And I grew up expecting to be ordinary. I never suspected I would do anything substantial in my life. I figured I'd be a nice person. I'd live the average age. I'd retire at 65, have 1.34 kids, or, you know, whatever the statistics were for the day. And, um, and I wouldn't get in people's way. And then one day in 1972, I was listening to a show like your podcast, except much shorter. It was a five-minute program that was on 900 radio stations around the world at that time. And it was called Our Changing World. What an appropriate name. And uh, the, the host of that show was Earl Nightingale, the Dean of Personal Motivation. And his deep fatherly voice delivered the message that day. And, in, and on that day in 1972, he said, if you will spend one extra hour each day studying your chosen field, in five years or less, you will become a national expert in that field. Well, that was the moment that changed my life. I, that was the first time it ever occurred to me that I actually could make a substantial difference, you know, do something that mattered in the world. And it just started rearranging all of my belief system about myself and my possibilities. And I started thinking, well, an hour a day, extra hour a day, um, let's say I do 50 weeks a year, five days a week, then that's 1,250 hours over five years. If I studied anything for 1,250 hours, I'd become an expert on it. So what do I want to be an expert at? Well, it wasn't urban renewal. So I thought about it more and more, and a few weeks later, it occurred to me, I in my dream of dreams, I want to do what the man on the radio is doing. I want to be like Earl Nightingale. But I had no idea what that meant. I, I told an audience the other day, I said, I'm a professional speaker and have been for 40 years. But when I decided to become a professional speaker in 1972, I had two um, conditions that would tend to limit one's speaking career. One, I had never given a speech, and two, I had nothing to say. So that'll kind of hold you back. And I thought, well, okay, I'll take this man and his word, an hour a day extra studying my chosen field, which in this case is personal development. And this was at the beginning of what later was known as the human potential movement. It's when people all across the world had suddenly become very interested in self-development. So I decided that I was going to spend whatever time it took to become an expert in the field of personal development. And so I was listening to records and tapes and going to seminars, what few were there, and just doing everything I could to get around people that seemed to be success seekers like I was. Mm -hmm. And there weren't a lot of them around me. And so over a period of several months, my circle of friends evolved. Those friends that I'd been hanging around with most in the past who were not interested in personal development sort of drifted away and new friends emerged and I connected with them and, and it accelerated everything. So I got involved in the JCs, Junior Chamber of Commerce, mm -hmm. and I did 400 meetings in two years after work and on weekends for free. 
the JCs had a program called Leadership in Action, and I became the state chairman in charge of it for 280 chapters in Arkansas. And so I drove around to all these chapters and led those discussions. Well, after 400 meetings, you kind of know what you're talking about. Yeah. And in the meantime, I was studying like crazy. So, you know, I had that adding to the mix. And um, so it, it truly made a difference in my own confidence level, my own uh, knowledge of the topic, and, um, and my ability to work with an audience in all kinds of circumstances. Because I was leading these meetings in living rooms, garages, um, church basements, uh, open-air pavilions, uh, log cabins. Literally, there was a log cabin where I did this, and we had a Coleman lantern as the, as the light, and uh, a group of people got together there. You know, so it was, some of them were rustic, and some of them were classy like hotel meeting rooms. But uh, I got to where I was working with every kind of person you can imagine. And after all those meetings that I did for free and all that study I was doing on my own, and this is aside from my regular job, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I became quite a different person. My own goals were very clear and, and organized. I was, I was disciplined in the way I was approaching them. I went from being a 200-pound, out-of-shape, two-pack-a-day smoker to being a 150-pound runner and a non-smoker for life. And uh, wow, what a transformation. And here I am today, 40 years of professional speaking. I've written 16 books, now 17. One's about to come out. And um, I've been president of the National Speakers Association and literally have received just about every major award that a professional speaker could receive in the world. That's a substantial claim, I know, but I can yeah, yeah, well, we'll take your, out your word for that. And it's, it's true if you go to your website and you know do research on Jim Cathcart, you find that out. Mm -hmm. But really at the heart of what you're talking about, and the, the lesson really, I think the important sort of core lesson for people listening to the show is, is it started with self-belief. Well, no, it started with desire. Well, and, desire, which, right, it, which led yeah, to the self-belief. Yeah, because I... I totally lacked the self-belief when I started. So you use a, a uh, metaphor of an acorn mm -hmm. when, you, when you talk about building this. So why don't you explain that metaphor and, okay. and uh, you know, tell people what it means relative to what I said, starting with desire and building this, this belief. Yeah. I, the acorn is sort of a universal symbol of potential. When you look at an acorn, you're intended to see the oak that it's capable of becoming. And they say you can count the number of acorns that are on an oak tree, but you cannot count by any means the number of oak trees that could potentially come from just one acorn. And I believe every one of us has a seed of potential within us, a metaphorical acorn, if you will. Mm -hmm. And and that your acorn and my acorn are different. Yours is designed for excellence in, in being you, and mine is for excellence in being me. And, and too often we try to be what the other person is designed to be. We listen to the wrong people or read the wrong things, and we end up trying to become something we're not designed to be. And it's like an acorn trying to become a giant redwood tree. That's impossible. But it could be a really impressive oak if it would understand its own nature and nurture that. 
So I believe we ought to spend a great deal of time figuring out what makes us who we are. What do we care about? How do we think most efficiently? Um, what's the nature of our personality? Uh, at what moments in our life have we been at our optimum, our absolute shining best? And what can we learn from those so that we can structure our life, our relationships, our work, and our responsibilities to allow us to be ourselves, our natural best selves, as often as humanly possible? It may not be possible to go with your natural instincts and, and talents 100% of the time, but if you've been doing it 12% of the time and you increase that to 18, that's, that's a 50% increase over what you had. So I believe that's what that's all about. And, and with me, I was lacking self-confidence. I didn't have any justification for believing in myself. I'd never been a great student. I'd been a good student. I'd never been an athlete or, you know, excelled in anything in the past. So what I believed in was the formula. I believed in Earl Nightingale's one extra hour a day concept. Because when I did the math on that, it, it proved to be a very reliable uh, process. And so that gave me the confidence to follow that path, even though I didn't have the confidence yet in myself. And as I followed that path and I made my mistakes and my successes and, and grew over time, within a couple of years, I was very self-confident. And even today, though, I have moments of doubt, like all people do. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I can make a difference in the world. And so I go forward with that assumption and, and try to do the best I can to make this a better place for humans to live. So it seems like a real sort of interesting, I don't know, conundrum for a lot of people is that, you know, they may have aspirations, but the way people tend to think about what they can become is by looking at themselves in the light of other people, right? And so how do they, how do they, you know, take that step from trying to be a reflection of what they see other people and really discovering what they themselves can really accomplish when they really set their mind to it and what they could be. Well, I owned a psychological research firm for a few years in Arizona. And uh, as a result of the work we did together, I wrote a book called The Acorn Principle. And it became an international bestseller, was translated into multiple languages, and it's still alive today. I, I recently revived it. Uh, you know, revised it um, to update some of the content. So the acorn principle is simply that the seed of your future already lives within you. And so this book takes you on a self-guided tour of all the different dimensions of what makes you who you are. And you look at the relationships in your life and where you fit within those. You look at your natural intelligence. You look at... Um, the values that motivate your choices. You look at, um, gosh, uh, the background imprint and how that influences you. You look at your personality type. Um, look at your personal velocity, which is the energy and drive, the degree of, of commitment to achieve that is natural to you. Um, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating exploration. Well, yeah, well, I want to come back. I want to talk about that a little bit more, a lot more after we come back from the break because yeah, I'm curious about this uh, sort of, well, it's almost sort of a nature-nurture type thing is, you know, how much can you really affect what is your fundamental nature? Good. And because uh, I think it's a question that a lot of people sort of struggle with. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with my guest, 
Jim Cathcart, and we'll talk more about the Acorn. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. Talking with my guest today, Jim Cathcart. And we were just uh, talking about, well, I, I guess I phrase it sort of uh, nature or nurture, I guess, is that, mm-hmm. you know, you said people have to understand their true nature, right? So if we're trying to achieve anything in life, and, and you know, we're talking primarily to a sales audience, sales and marketing audience here, and, you know, gosh, you know, salespeople are ambitious, they want to achieve something. First up is they really need to understand themselves. Absolutely agree. How do you, how do you like, you talked about your personal velocity, right? That's, that's one is, you know, you're, you're really talking almost like your energy level. To some degree, yeah, well, it's not just energy, but it's the drive. The drive, right? Along with that, because you could be a very high energy, low drive person, and you'd be active and frenetic, but not necessarily uh, making any progress. And you could have a great deal of drive and low energy, and you'd be frustrated by you know wearing yourself out two or three times every day. Right. So how do uh, you how do you alter that? I mean, so once you've come to know yourself in certain dimensions, you're saying, okay, let's start with personal velocity. How do I, maybe I'm high drive, low energy. How do I, how do I get those two in alignment? Well, both of them are controllable. You know, the, the more focused you are and the, and the better organized you are, the more your drive can, can uh, be activated and the better your nutrition and health and well-being and, and uh, avoidance of things like smoking and such uh, can affect your energy level. So there, you know, the, it, it's a known science in both cases. And I, I talk about both of those in the book, The Acorn Principle. But when you look at achievement, what causes people to achieve is a decision to do so. And that decision is sort of activated by the belief that it's possible. And for me, hearing Earl Nightingale on the radio those many, many years ago, and having him say, spend one extra hour a day and study and you can be a national expert in five years. When I did the math and saw that that was 1,250 hours, I realized he was telling the truth. And I didn't believe in me yet, but I could believe in that. And so I did. A lot of times we don't have a process like that that's been laid out for us. So, you know, we've got to look around for something to believe in. But let's go back to your comment, nurture your nature or nurture nature versus nurture. In psychology, there's been this eternal uh, conflict. One group of people is saying, you are who you are because that's your nature. It's your DNA. It was passed along. It's genetic. You can't do anything about it. Just get over it. And then you got another group on the far other extreme saying, no, it's all about how you're trained and taught and experienced and where you grew up. And it's all the way you were nurtured. It's not your nature. Well, the truth is it's both. And that a person's nature unfolds in different ways depending on their life experience or their, quote, nurture. So it, you've got parts of your brain that if they're not stimulated when you're very young, they won't develop very much. 
And so children that have been physically neglected and didn't have the attention, the continual attention of adults, don't develop the same way as children who had a great deal of, of nurturing attention. So yes, it's nature, and yes, it's nurture. But once we're adults, nature's already set, you know? We are who we are, but we can change how we live and how we express who we are through our choices every single day in every compartment of our life. You know, the person says, well, I'm just that way. You know, I'm just not organized. No, you choose not to become organized. Organized is not from your nature. I mean, you may have a tendency to be kind of sloppy, but that doesn't mean you got to go with it. It's kind of like having a tendency to be a jerk. You don't have to go <laughs> with it. You can learn courteous ways. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I don't know many people that could apply to. Well, so, so let's call them up. Yeah, let's let's Hello, have this conversation. Yes. Maybe they're listening. Hello, John. I understand you're an asshole. That's right. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what what holds people back? Because yeah, you speak to large groups of salespeople all the time. I speak to yeah. salespeople all the time, and there's this you know not insignificant percentage of them that on one level want to succeed, but just can't take those first steps you know i tell the story all the time and as other sales uh, thought leaders do as well about you know talking to salespeople and you just ask a simple question you know when was the last time you read or what was the last sales book you read Mm -hmm. and they can't remember right so they're in this profession that demands continuous learning and and not enough seem to be have the you know the the personal velocity to go yes. go make that happen to just pick up the first yeah. sales book. So so how do how do you get people? What's the first key to getting people to to break free from that? Well, first thing you've got to do is is penetrate that mindset because it's mindset that's limiting them. It's not physical potential. It's not personality. It's not you know all the things that a lot of people attribute it to, and it's certainly not other people. Uh, you know, a lot of folks make excuses that, well, I'd be if it wasn't for so and so. No, that's not true. It's because you've embraced the mindset of being the victim to whatever that or, or whoever that happens to be. So you gotta, you gotta penetrate that mindset. I wrote the book Relationship Selling, the original book of that title mm-hmm. in the 1980s, and I've rewritten that book in so many ways. I've got about nine books out there now that or on that subject, plus I've rewritten the original relationship selling. But when I presented the concept of relationship selling in the 1980s, people would reject it outright. They would say, Jim, look, you need to choose. Those two words don't go together. It's either selling or it's a relationship. Well, today, everyone says, yeah, of course, relationship selling, that's what we do. And the mindset is a relationship is an asset or a liability. If I have a relationship with the leader of the um, drug distribu- illegal drug distribution for Hell's Angels motorcycle gang, um, then uh, I got a problem. I got a relationship that's a liability. If I have a relationship with the President of the United States, I have a relationship that's a powerful potential asset. So I think we ought to decide in advance who we want to be connected with and then figure out what kind of people would they accept and like to have in their life. How can I become more of that kind of a person? Because your mindset leads to your actions, and your actions over time become your habits. 
Your habits determine what your reputation is because you're known by your, your repeated behavior. And your reputation determines which relationship doors are open to you and which ones are shut. So if you want bigger, more valuable relationships, start with your mindset. Start thinking differently about life, about business, about yourself, about other people. And look for ways to be of value. It's a pay it forward mindset. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the relationships you have determine the size of the future that's available to you. So if you want a great, big, wonderful, abundant future, take that picture of the future and get it really clear and then start backing up from there. If I want that kind of a future, what kind of people will I need to know and connect with? So that tells you the relationships you need to target. And if I want to be accepted among people like that, what sort of reputation do I need to deserve? Who do I need to be, right? That's right. And then you say, okay, to get that reputation, what habits do I need to form? Work habits, personal habits, communication habits, etc. And then what actions lead to those habits and what is the mindset I should be reinforcing through my self-talk, through the people I associate with, through the books I read, the podcasts I tune into, the places I go, the, the meetings I attend, etc. Yeah, and I think it's really important for people to understand when you when you talk about this is it's not you're not manipulating yourself. I mean you're not inauthentic. You're you're changing who you are in many respects. Yeah, and so it, it is not it is it is still an authentic you, but I yeah, you know, the I forget who who said it, but you know, you start with the end in mind. Yeah. And Steve then Covey trademarked it, but but it was said long before him. Right. And yeah. then work backwards from that in a very logical fashion. And you you want to do that in a sales process too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, part of what you're doing when you're qualifying a prospect is you're qualifying them with the end in mind. Yeah. And whenever I go out to sell, I always have in mind the question, how can I help them? Because it's not about me making a good presentation. It's about them getting it that I can help make their world better. And so how can I help them is the greatest sales question because it keeps you attuned to the very reason they would want to buy. Exactly. Yeah, I've had people say to me, and it's ludicrous to think of it, but I remember one guy in particular, he said to me, he said, I'm an excellent salesman. I said, but you're not the leading salesperson in this organization. He said, no, you know, the economy better than I need to start blaming other things. And I said, with all due respect, dude, you're not an excellent salesman. You may be capable of being one, but if you were an excellent salesperson, your sales would show it. And I said, it's not about convincing people to buy. It's about finding out who could benefit from you and helping them in whatever way you can through your product or service. And a lot of salespeople say, well, I'm a good salesperson. I'm just, you know, I just need good leads. (laughs) No, 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 no. If you can't produce good leads, you're not a good salesperson yet. Yeah, I mean. The whole package. Yeah. Even in this world where leads are being produced for salespeople, you still need to, if you don't have the ability to provide something of value to that prospect and that first interaction you have with them, then, hey, you know, all bets are off at that point in time. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. So, Jim, we're going to move into the last segment of the show. I've got a number of standard questions I ask all my guests. And uh, the first one's a little bit of a hypothetical scenario that I pose to everyone. So here's the scenario. You've just been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out. 
and senior management really wants things to get turned around in a hurry. So what two things would you do in your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Number one thing would be to talk with the owner of the company or the leaders of the company. What is it we're trying to do as a company? I don't want to just know about my product. I want to know where's this company headed and why? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, like Walt Disney, when he created Disneyland, he said, I'm building the happiest place on earth. Mm -hmm. Focused everybody's attention. They all knew what the job was. And, and it didn't matter if Mickey Mouse was blue or black. It didn't matter if Fantasyland was Fantasyland or Dreamland. It, what mattered was whether it was the happiest place on earth. So right. that's the first thing. I would want to know, what is this company trying to do for people? What's the dream? What's the goal? How do we help people? Okay. And the second thing I would do is I would look at all of what we have in relation to the market we're going after. In other words, I wouldn't be thinking about selling. I'd be thinking about marketing. Because first you, you establish the purpose of a business. And then you focus on a particular uh, market group who would receive whatever it is you could provide. And then you back up from that saying, okay, what would help them in, in the biggest way? How can we produce that or provide that at a cost-effective level? Um, what's the best way to contact them? Who do they currently trust and listen to and so forth? But there's a whole string of questions and answers that flow naturally out of that initial question, what are we trying to create here? Exactly. Starting with the end in mind again. Yeah. Yeah. If you're building... A sports car, you need to understand that's not going to be bought by soccer moms. Exactly. So be very clear on who you're serving. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Good answer. So now I've got some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or you can elaborate if you wish. You ready? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, first one when you're selling, what's your most powerful sales asset? My mindset. Who's your sales role model? Wow. Um, Harold Gash, the man who sold me the Earl Nightingale audio recording library for $600 when my monthly income was $525. <laughs> and as a result of it, I transformed my own life. Excellent. So other than one of your own books, what's the one book every salesperson should read? They should read uh, See You at the Top by Zig Ziglar, and also they should read The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. Mandino. Okay. Both of whom were friends of mine. Ah, well, very interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, we had Tom Ziglar on the show just a couple months ago, mm. his son. So um, now this is a tough question for all the guests. Uh, what music's on your playlist this day? <laughs> the Eagles. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Joni Mitchell uh, and gosh, I've got the Beatles. I've got, but see, my wife and I, I, I play guitar. My wife and I sing in clubs. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I've got a playlist that's got all the the best music in my estimation of the baby boom era, mm -hmm. late fifties all through the sixties and early seventies. And so we call our group Resume the Boom. <laughs> and how often do you guys uh, go out and play gigs? Uh, once or twice a month. Very interesting. Very interesting. Good. So uh, what's the first sales activity you do every day? First thing is focus. First thing is, is I go to breakfast alone and I sit with my notes and just 
kind of organize my thoughts around what matters most in my life that day. Okay. Last question for you. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? Wow. Um, I don't know that one particularly stands out because I get, it depends on the level of salesperson I'm talking with. You know, if it's um, just regular salespeople that are going out and making calls and not particularly at a leadership level in their company, uh, then they're usually technique questions. And if it's company uh, level, then it's strategy questions. And what I think it ought to boil down to in every case is purpose questions, mindset. Mm -hmm. what, what are you trying to do to help this person? And how do you know that's going to help them? Because if they don't see it as help, even if it is, it's not going to be accepted. So, you know, you'll have salespeople say, well, if I could just say such and such, you know, tell me what words to say. And my answer is no, I will absolutely not tell you what words to say, but I will tell you what thoughts to think and I will tell you what, what approaches to take, but you come up with the words that are the most appropriate for your personality, your audience, your product, etc. And at first, if you're a brand new salesperson, memorize the words that other people use that work, and then over time, make that your own language or develop your own language for communicating what you do. And if, if they're looking for resources, free resources, go to cathcart.com, which is my website. Mm -hmm. 768 pages of articles and videos and all kinds of things that don't cost anything and they're welcome to explore it. Well, good. Well, I was just going to tell people, or ask people, or ask, to ask you to tell people where to find out more about you. So cathcart.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm on LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and, you know, it's all of it. Just look up Jim Cathcart. And I uh, understand you might have a new book coming out. As a matter of fact, there's never a time when I don't have a new book coming out. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah, 19 books. This book is self-motivation. It's, it's called the Self-Motivation Handbook. And it has 365 ways to motivate yourself. And it's also got some uh, exercises in it to help you get focused on what it is you really want and what kind of person you really want to become. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Oh, it's a treat, Andy. Thank you. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that. You'll make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Jim Cathcart, who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.